Hey, Valley fans, you're listening to the March to the Arch podcast. Is your team going to win? Make some noise! This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news, talk, and takes. Welcome to episode two of the March to the Arch podcast in this 2021-2022 Missouri Valley Conference season. On today's episode, we've got a good episode. We're going to recap just some highlights around the league, what's been going on on the little hiatus we've been on. And then also, we are Baker is joined by Jordan Majeski. Um, on Twitter, he is at Jor Cubs Dan. And then also, you can check out his conference previews at staringatthefloorboards.wordpress.com. Baker and him have a great conversation about how he sees the Missouri Valley Conference in this 21-22 season. But before we get to that, how are we doing today, Baker? I'm doing great, Vance. It's, uh, it's been a minute since, we, since we've done this. But, but we have finally, we finally have connected. We actually saw each other. Yeah, that was great. Um, so maybe let's get into a recap of where we've been at just a little bit, Baker. So we actually got to see each other, what was that, last weekend? Is that right, Baker? Yeah, uh, yeah it was. So it, we've had a little bit of change in venue for the March the Arch pa- podcast here. Um, I moved about an hour away from Baker um, f- temporarily. Uh, so it's just gotten a little bit, we don't run into each other and it's a little bit harder to coordinate seeing you in the flesh, uh, being an hour away versus, uh, being in the same town. Yeah. With the, uh, it's, it's crazy. We both decided, Hey, you know, it's a, it's a good time for both of us to, uh, to change houses at this point. Um, as I've moved to a new house, I'm finally in and, uh, you have moved an hour away while they're in the process of, uh, working on your new house, um, which I saw you got to visit the whole. <laughs> where you're building a house which i thought was like such a cool cool thing to see um but yeah finally got to see you when i was doing uh doing some fantasy football drafts we got to connect and everything so it was good to see you again vance but uh yeah it's been a minute yeah the uh <laughs> thank you uh for talking about the hole um it's now filled with dirt and concrete so things are moving oh, we're along. concrete now i like we are. it yeah foundation walls are up we're pumped um sp- yeah spend some time out there but actually i have not seen uh you know the baker house 2.0 and i'm excited to get to um that area and check out the new digs yeah no it'll be great to have you down here um the the one disappointing part of this whole deal is the march to the arch studios which we were broadcasting in for a, for the last year uh is no more uh <laughs> it's kind of a bittersweet but uh you know we'll we'll, we'll have to we'll figure it out as we go this year We'll persevere and, you know, we'll, we'll find, you know, we had, you know, a really state-of-the-art sound booth in the old March the Arch <laughs> podcast. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure. An understatement. That, <laughs> I'm sure, uh, you know, we got some better days to come, but, uh, you know, we got 2.0, 3.0 um, coming down the line and can't wait for it. No doubt about it. So, yeah, let's uh, get into some of the hot topics going around the conference nowadays. Um, so since we've been off, you've using your term, it's been a minute. Um, let's talk through a little bit of conference realignment. Um, this has been very football focused, but um, I think it has some value ramifications, or at least we get to put some uh, teeth behind what I'd say Valley fans have been uh, talking about the last couple of years. 
um, pursuant to a former Valley school that's in an impacted conference. So what we're alluding to is just the Big 12 SEC American Conference shakeup. Uh, for those of you that aren't in the know, what really kicked this off was uh, Texas and Oklahoma notifying the Big 12 they are going to move to the SEC. In turn, um, from the American uh, Athletic Conference, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF um, were invited to the Big 12, and it looks like that is going to happen. And so when you look at the American Conference, um, who's left? So we've got – Not great. <laughs> it is not great. A couple, two Valley uh, um, alumni uh, there. So we've got Wichita State and Tulsa sitting there. We've got SMU, Eastern Carolina, Memphis, Temple, and Tulane. Just some of the highlights there. Um, so kind of thoughts, Baker. You know, here, actually, before I get your thoughts, you know, it's been one of those things in the last season and maybe the last couple of seasons. A lot of Valley fans have been reveling in um, – the, the whole hum performance of the Shockers. And so is there a little bit of buyer's remorse of leaving the Valley if you're a Shocker fan? Um, thoughts on that, Baker? Yeah, I think we talked about it when, when this was all going down. You could even tell, and, and I think they even mentioned in their press conference when they left the Valley, it was kind of a risk. And uh, this was the risk because you always knew that, you know, conference realignment, I don't know about, eight to ten years ago really happened and then Wichita State was kind of on the end path of that and then you knew this was going to come up again and we had talked about for the last couple of years we've done the podcast um to me there has to be buyer's remorse and I think if I'm Wichita State I, I read the other day and I don't know if you saw this they they said they're committed to the American um if I'm a Wichita State fan I cringe when I hear that because if I'm a Wichita State fan I would love it if my or if we're reaching out to either the Mountain West or the A-10, because I think those are your two best options. Is that how, kind of how you see it? Absolutely. And the only thing, like the elephant in the room is they don't bring anything to, to the table from a football perspective. So well, and I think that's why they, and I think that's why that those are the two leagues they can go to. The, just to start to cut you off, but the Mountain West has had a history where they've had teams where they weren't football. Yep. And no, so I you think that they would be an attractive school basketball-wise for that league, especially after, you know, losing the teams they have over the years. I know BYU was a while ago because they went to the West Coast before they're going to the, the Big 12. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I'm Wichita State, I'm, I'm obviously trying to make the move. So, you know, let's, let's go devil's advocate there. Um, welcome, them, uh, welcome them back to the Valley with open arms? 100%. That's a question, yep. 100%. Um, I mean, listen, I, I think that it's probably 98% of the people who listen to this podcast would probably think, oh, God, I'm glad they're gone just because their fans are kind of a little iffy. But at the end of the day, it's Wichita State. It's a big school. They bring in a lot of money. They are a, they are a name brand in college basketball, whether we like it or not. Um, yeah, if the Valley was to expand to 12 and they would take one of the invites, they would be a slam dunk. You'd have to. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I could see maybe a natural rivalry with them and Loyola because I'd say Loyola doesn't have that natural rivalry in the Valley right now. And you know what, you know, this is well documented on this podcast, but we definitely need those sock people back at Arch Madness uh, from the Shocker <laughs> fans. Um, no, you know what? It's, it's interesting. You're, you, you brought up Loyola. That's an awesome point because before Wichita State left, it was kind of them and Creighton as, as kind of like – because Southern Illinois and Creighton for the longest time were big rivals. But then Southern kind of had a few tough years there, which Wichita State was right at the top with Creighton. 
And I don't know if Wichita State, if they came back, would kind of it would kind of reignite like kind of that that Creighton rivalry, but with a Loyola. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to to see the lay of the land, but. If they came back, I mean, you've got so many good teams at the top. Where were they? They would almost get lost in the shuffle with where we are now. I agree. And just Wichita State, uh, towards the end, they were the common enemy for the other nine Valley teams. So it almost like brought nine Valley teams together against the Shockers. And I think that that's good. That's healthy uh, sometimes in the, uh, the, the conference landscape is having that natural enemy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think this adds just a ton of pressure on – uh, they're a new coach. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but um, that is a new, that is some new pressure that he even didn't ever have to deal with. He's got a conference where it's not as attractive for recruits as at least as it was. Cause you lost to Houston. Um, you're losing Cincinnati. You're losing brand names to your around college basketball that were, you know, you could say, Hey, we're going to play these guys at least once a year, probably twice a year. So um, that that's also makes an added challenge to them. Uh, I think for Tulsa, you brought up Tulsa, and and I want to at least mention this. I don't think it's as big a deal for them because I think they're more ingrained in that football mindset with the teams that are around them. I think they're still fine with playing their Memphises and whatnot. But for Wichita State, where basketball is king, I I think that this has definitely put some kind of a crossroads. And what do you do? Um, I don't think that they would ever come back to the Valley because I think that would be a um, kind of with their tail between their legs type of situation. But if you're them, you you have to try to look for a better option. You're hoping that the conference landscape just gets bigger and bigger. You're hoping for it to inflate because I truly thought that um, without them having football, the American was a Band-Aid approach, hoping to get to the Big East in my mind. Yeah, no, and the Big East is another is another great one to bring up because, I mean, even even with us with the Valley, I mean, you look at a you look at your Drakes and your Loyolas. They would be um, if they have a couple more, maybe three or four more really good strong years where their tournament teams, you know. Uh, almost every every year or every other year um, you start thinking about they probably think about maybe leveling up from the valley so it's a definitely a different it's a it's a time I I know bull I don't want to speak for you because I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself but I personally am in the mindset of we need to be proactive as the Missouri Valley I think that this is the time where we need to start kicking the tires on uh, how what we need to look like in five years mm-hmm. rather it- than just staying put and it, I, it will be very interesting how football plays into this from a Valley perspective. I mean, the Valley is a, you know, we know from an FCS level, um, you know, a well-respected, if not, I mean, it is the best um, so, FCS conference. I'm thinking it's more of around like, what's the Mac? What's the Sun Belt? What's Conference USA going to do? Because I think there's ramifications there as well. So do it's we, all the way down. I, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's like, do we entrench and say, we're basketball first? And I, I like that approach because I do think there's headwinds there. But I'm just – I'm very weary of this whole football mindset um, from a basketball fan perspective. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like, if you look at the Valley landscape and you look at the teams that we would potentially go after, to me, like, the pie in the sky, the two teams for me that would be the slam dunk if they would be willing to come and we would take them no matter what, it would be a Wichita State and a slew. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two that you – I don't think you're going to get, but if right. you, if you could pick and choose, if we could cherry pick, those are the two options. And then if you, if you go past that and you say, okay, those two are not the option. I think that the, there's, I think there's four obvious options out there. I think you either go the OVC route and you go with either a, go with a Belmont and a Murray state as your two teams to get to 12, or you go the Dakotas and you go yep. North Dakota state and South Dakota state because they kind of have uh, that connection, right? With the, the football conference. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's just going to be interesting. And I'm with you. I hope we can be proactive. But unfortunately, due to the FBS or sorry, the yeah, the FBS FCS split, um, we almost have to somewhat take a back seat on this to see how it shakes out because we all know where the money is. And I wonder what's going to happen with FBS because I could also see the top four conferences because a lot of people, and, and I don't know how the big 12 is going to shake out. A lot of people think the big 12 is going to take kind of take that American position mm -hmm. and it's going to be a big four instead of a big five and do the big four kind of break off and do their own playoff and do their own postseason type of thing where that leaves your eight conferences in the middle to kind of fend for themselves when it comes to like bowls and different things like that. So um, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how the landscape goes. I was always, I, I think I read this article and I always kind of had this thought was um, with like the top, the top conferences in FCS, maybe joining up and doing their own playoff with like some of the bottom leagues in the FBS, if those big four left. So mm -hmm. as a Valley fan, I would assume, I mean, you know about Valley football way better than I do. I mean, we're like the SEC of the, FCS. So right. I would assume that if that was going to happen, they would be sitting at the table for that. So um, very interesting stuff. Um, really looking forward to seeing what uh, Jeff and the staff do, but uh, it'll be interesting. Yep. So kind of second one, um, obviously not a good thing uh, for, the, for this side of the podcast team and just in, in general. Um, so SIU made a change at the athletic director, um, the former athletic director, Liz Jarnigan, um, was relieved of duties and they have an interim athletic director right now. Um, not a lot to talk about here, Baker. There's a lot going on. And specifically we are recording here on Wednesday, September 15th. Um, there, there's a lot more to this than just, there was a change at the top. Um, there's just some, some allegations going on for other sports. It is just not a good position for SIU, especially as the football season and the basketball season, uh, your main revenue sports for SIU are underway. Um, uh, just, it's not something you want to see at this time of the year, um, from a planning, from a, um, just from a planning, fundraising, things of that nature, um, you know, in a, in a, at a school that's already strapped for money. Um, right now. So a lot to play out, but definitely didn't want to um, not talk about that because it is impactful for me as a Saluki fan, but then also could have ramifications around the Valley. Yeah, no, I think there, I think you said it best. There's a lot to unpack here. There's still a lot to unpack as we go forward here in the next few months. Um, and, and I think it might be a while until we really hear the whole story um, because there's going to be a lot. Of he said, she said, we don't want to, I don't want to speculate, but I mean, we got to bring it up because we, it's the kind of the elephant in the room for you for as an SIU fan. So um, once we get more info, we'll, we'll talk a little more about it. Yep. And then the most fun part. So yeah, that was a downer. Let's get to a positive is the conference schedule was released All yesterday. Right. And, you know, we got some quick reactions. We all, we're definitely going to dive into it. And when we do the preview shows, we'll get our picks. We'll do all that fun stuff. But it's such an exciting time of year when the conference schedule comes out. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, kind of want to talk through what that day even means and the excitement level uh, for, the, for the podcast team. So I like to talk through, like, what's the first thing I do once I see that the conference um, schedule is, is sent out and is established? So there's kind of two things I do. One, uh, because I'm not in proximity to my home team um, of SIU in Carbondale is I always look to see um, when they're going to be 
in the central Illinois area, specifically Illinois State and Bradley, and also Indiana State and Loyola to an extent. And I go ahead and just go ahead and uh, mark those days off on the old calendar if they're midweek games. You know, make sure you get those PTO requests in early. Um, and then also just hope for weekend games because, you know, that means the family's coming in and things of that nature. So good timing uh, for a Saluki fan in, that, in, that, in central Illinois. And then really um, more impactful for other Valley fans is I look to game 18 and I see what is being set up per se. And, you know, I, I kind of want to go back in the Wayback Machine uh, to last season's uh, podcast when we had Mike Kern on the show. And one thing that, you know, I asked him because it always seems they kind of set up that finale game. And um, he, he confirmed it, which was great. And so the one that I had circled is that uh, February 26th, Loyola UNI. It feels like that's the game they're setting up that could mean something. So those are the two things on a normal year I would do. This year, let's throw a wrench into things, Baker. <laughs> we got non-conference games at the beginning of December. How awesome is that? Uh, okay. Okay, awesome. Um, oh, sorry, maybe I should say awesome is a relative term. Get What's your reactions on the December game? So here's my reaction. When I first heard about it, I did not love it. And I was kind of like, you know what, let's wait and do the whole conference all at once. And instead of having this one kind of baked in the middle of non-con. Um, but Illinois State has a home game on December 1st, so now I'm for it um, as, as just being selfish. But I don't know, just to me, and, and I, I guess you, I think you're a little more excited about this than I am just because um, a really meaningful game in the beginning of December, which is crazy. Um, to me, I wasn't in favor of it. I actually love the idea of playing that right around New Year's Eve game, having that afternoon New Year's Eve game. And it felt like Illinois State always had the afternoon game on the 31st, and it was awesome. You could always go to the game and then do whatever you're going to do for New Year's, New Year's Eve. Um, so I am going to miss that because the first game after that is only on January 2nd. So mm -hmm. um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of in between, if I'm just being honest. It's, it's a t I don't know. Where are you at on You love it? Um, so I definitely said awesome. I don't know. I was looking for an adjective. And so, um, I would say so you love it. We're just going to hold you to that. No, go sure. Ahead. That's fine. Um, now that I think through like college football landscape, so big 10, you know, start the season, uh, with the, the one that I'm familiar with is the Illinois Nebraska game. Everyone's like, this is the weirdest thing. And I couldn't agree more. So now I'm like in December, I'm gonna be like, wait, wait, that's how you use it. Evansville. And wait, what's, what's you and I doing going to Bradley? It's December 1st. Um, so I'm wondering what my reaction will be when December starts to roll around. Um, I honestly think that's going to be almost like a, and it's on a midweek, by the way, yep. sorry to cut you off, but it is a midweek game. Remember that. And I think a lot of the analysis and preparation, things like that. Um, I almost wonder, like, do you throw out that game one and just kind of pretend the season is 17 games? <laughs> well, I mean, you can't, cause it's I mean, probably going to matter. Um, yeah. but I know what you mean. Um, it is interesting and just, if you look at a lot of previews, a lot of people have their ideas. We have not given who we have picked to win the conference, but a lot of people have pretty set in with the top five. It's interesting that none of them are playing each other on that first day. That's, I don't know that's if you saw that. Southern Illinois, Loyola, Missouri State, you and I, and Drake are all playing the quote-unquote expected bottom five. Interesting. I actually um, didn't Which I thought together. that was interesting that the Valley was like, okay, we're going to do this early game, but we're not going to put the pressure on any of these head-to-head -head matchups, which we think might uh, kind of influence the standings down the line. 
Um, it's interesting. You talked about what you look for. I, I'll tell you what I look for. I look for the tough stretches for Illinois State, obviously, because I'm an Illinois State fan. Um, there's some brutal. There's some brutal weeks there where they've got um, of the expected top five. I think they had a. There's a stretch where they play seven of their nine games in a row against that group, and it's. I think it starts like mid-January. It's going to be brutal, but. Um, you know what? You got to play those teams, especially if you're going to be at the bottom of the league. You're going to have those stretches. Where you're going to play the good teams. Yeah, you've got uh, Drake at home. You're at you and I, and then you have you're at Loyola. So yeah, that's a that's a tough three game stretch. And then I know you threw on seven games there, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. That's at the end of January. It's that's what I would say. I did the kind of the same eye test, is if you want to call it that. Is but I kind of took the top four. Um, there's a couple others, you know, if, if we're going to talk about the Salukis, I think we have a rough New Year's. Um, so hopefully there's no real uh, New Year's hangovers there. But, you know, kind of starting at home versus Loyola, we have home Drake at Valpo, we're at Missouri State, and then um, you and I. So you've, you've got, you know, five of – or sorry, four of five in that top four um, where I think preseason's going to come out. So looking at the, the Wrestle League, so I think – um, I think an interesting one for me was going to be where Drake and Loyola were going to play the two games because I mm-hmm. think that those two are um, at least in that conversation for the top spots, two tournament teams from last year. Yeah, they got them spread out pretty well, January 30th and then uh, February the 19th, which uh, coincidentally both uh, are weekend games. So obviously those are probably setting up to be TV games as well, uh, probably on ESPN. Uh, it'll be interesting. The the other the other piece. I don't know if you noticed this. The midweek game before game eighteen, so game seventeen, also is similar to set up as that first game, where none of that top five play against each other. Hmm. So I don't know if it's maybe a situation where the valley was like, okay, we're going to let you guys kind of have that not quote unquote a layup game, but we're not going to have you play any of those significant games, the game before the last one. So. Uh, it'll be interesting. I like how Missouri State's set up, actually. Really, I think it sets up awesome. Uh, their last week of the season, they're playing against Bradley, and then they're going to play against Evansville, two winnable games for them for sure. Uh, so if you're looking at a team that maybe needs to win two to uh, get one of those top two spots in the at Arch Madness, that's going to be a really good uh, spot for them. Uh, it'll be really interesting to kind of see how this goes. I'm, I'm just excited to see some of these games. Yeah, you heard it here first, too, fans, that uh, Baker said that Illinois State at Southern Illinois on February 22nd was a layup game for the Salukis. Just uh, wanted to throw that one out there. Which (laughs) – I think think I've made it pretty clear where I see my Redbirds finishing. So, I don't don't want to – hey, you know what? The Birds are going to fight them. The Birds are going to play hard. You know how it is. (laughs) The other thing that just kind of – Hey, and that's the other thing. They're – you know, and I don't, I don't want to shortchange Illinois State or Bradley. I mean, those two teams are going to play tough. They're, they, a lot of these are in-state games for them. So, I mean, they're going to they're gonna give you a different, different matchup. So, who knows? Yeah, I, I have two last things. So, Loyola, it cracked me up because they've basically got the Illinois Open to start the season. Uh, they're, they're at SIU, at Illinois State, and then they Bradley at home. Um, and then the other thing that really grinds my gears and was when teams play each other in close proximity of dates – and so we've got Loyola and Northern Iowa playing twice in almost two weeks. And that is just – Oh, I don't love that. I know. That is just a tough, tough thing um, for – to happen in my mind I that mean, that, that, that kind of goes back to last year. We had yeah. back-to-backs. 
No, I agree. So, like, they play February 13th, uh, Northern Iowa's at Loyola, and then last game of the year, uh, Loyola at Northern Iowa. Um, that's, you know, just kind of a two-week stretch there. I just wish we could space that out because I uh, that's going to have ramifications big time. And you just want to see a little bit more space between the top, in my mind. So, interesting. Um, and this is just a – so, on my birthday, actually, January the 22nd, I think, is going to be um, – is going to be one of the biggest days in the Valley because you have a Missouri state Loyola game and a Drake UNI game on Saturday. And then you also have Southern Illinois traveling to Bradley. I think that that is a monster monster weekend for the Missouri Valley to kind of see where the standings are. And that's kind of middle of the Valley seat or not middle, but I guess toward the beginning, kind of getting toward the middle of the season. So teams have got their legs under them. I think that is a massive, massive weekend slate. Just because you brought that up, that is your birthday. Um, if anyone from the Valley is listening, anyone from the Valley at ESPN that can pick game times, um, since it's your birthday, SIU is at Bradley. If that could be the morning game or like the <laughs> 1 o'clock tip and then a 7 o'clock Evansville at Illinois State for two podcasters in Central Illinois, one of which will have a birthday that day, um, that would be awesome because I could see um, a fun day to be had by the March of the Arch podcast. And you know what's crazy? Um, like, th- that's that's the other – I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, I really hope that we get away from all the – I know this is going to be contradictory what you just said, but I want to get away from as many of the afternoon games on the weekend as well. I don't love that we had all these games in the middle of the day where um, – I mean, I got – I got youngsters and it's hard um, to get to these games, number one. But, and I know a lot of you Valley fans out there were just like, God, Ed, we hit five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday and all the Valley games are done for the day. It's mm-hmm. always, I like, I like the ideas kind of having, you know, at least space it out where we have a night game. And those are fewer and far between last year. It felt like, I don't know, but did you see, did you, did you feel that kind of same way? I don't know. I feel like the whole last season was one big blur because it was just game after game. <laughs> then you were off four days, and it was game after game. It was a gauntlet. Um, so, like, time didn't matter to me. Uh, but I'm with you. I like some spacing. I like some of the night games, especially for fans, um, you know, trying to support, you know, their, their kids if they're – And we can having... go to some of these games. Yeah, oh, that – I mean – Knock on wood, by the way. Yeah, but... I mean – that, that's something we're not I don't even want to put that in the universe so I don't even want to talk about that but yes I'm ecstatic that I'm likely going to go to more than one arena next year that's not the Enterprise Center yeah I almost think that it's at that, that at this point it's like um with everything with everybody else having fans in the in the stands it's gonna be hard to kind of get away and and kind of backtrack and not have fans this year but um, it'll be interesting what kind of scenario that leads to. Are we going to have full buildings for every single Valley school? Are we going to have, you know, limited attendance? We don't know. Um, I just, to me, after last year, we only got a little taste with the Arch Madness. I got to the one ISU game uh, sitting in media row, but the, I think it'll be nice to actually have fans in the building. Like I think of, I think of how Drake had some fans last year and it was just like, that added so much to their atmosphere there. And then I think of like going, seeing games when they were played at Redbird arena, it was like nobody in the stands. So um, I'm looking forward to that for sure. And especially like last year, Bradley, Illinois, we swept Brad or we swept Bradley, Illinois state did. How cool would it have been if the fans were actually there for that? Yeah. I mean, here's the one thing I know Baker is that, you know, it is September. We're talking conference hoops. We're talking about, more likely than not going to games. We get to dissect the schedule. It feels like a real season, and I'm glad that we're back. I mean, you and I just talked about the other day that 
Um, like I sent you a text. I said, December 1st, Missouri State's at Illinois State. <laughs> Let's go. And you were like, I'm there. Yep. So it'll be exciting. That's good. I can't wait to dive into it more once we get to the conference preview. But if we've got a little taste coming up here. So stay on and listen to Baker's interview with Jordan Majeski. Um, on at Twitter, it is at J-O-R Cubs D-A-N. That's Jor Cubs Dan. Or you can check out his Missouri Valley Conference preview at staring at the floorboards.wordpress.com. All right, Valley fans, we are now joined by Jordan Majeski. Uh, he, you can find him online at Jor Cubs Dan on Twitter. And uh, he's got some awesome uh, previews going up about college basketball right now. And one that caught our eye was the Missouri Valley Conference uh, preview. So we want to have him on the show. Jordan, how are we doing tonight? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. To, glad, to, glad you come on here tonight. Um, before we jump into the preview, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. What kind of got you into college basketball? Um, just kind of some overall thoughts, uh, your background. Uh, so, yeah, I just, um, my my hometown conference is the Mo Valley. I'm from Terre Haute originally. So I uh, grew up a big, you know, ISU fan, lived through some pretty lean years before uh, Royce Waltman, you know, took him to the tournament and beat Oklahoma in that, uh, that game. So um, that was kind of the, the peak of my Missouri Valley uh, fandom. So yeah, it's just a conference I grew up with and that's really what launched me into college basketball in general. So I've always had an affinity for the mid-majors as well since, you know, that was my, my hometown uh, conference. That's awesome. Well, you're speaking our language. That's crazy. So just real quick, back to the Royce Waltman years. That's, that's kind of a blast from the past for a lot of Valley fans out here there, but I mean, realistically, that was, I mean, that's the last time Indiana State won a tournament game. And that was just like a crazy experience for them. What was it? I think it was Kelvin Sampson was at Oklahoma at the time. And that was a OT game, if I remember right. Yeah. And uh, Michael, Mit- Michael Mincer, the Mincer, yes. Bomber. He was, uh, <laughs> it hit, hit those three threes against IU uh, as well. The, the loudest I've ever seen Holman Center by far. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He, uh, that was an, that was a good little stretch that you guys had there. I think there was a couple tournaments in a row there for Indiana State. So, right. um, little bit, a uh, little bit down from that right now. But and we'll get into the Sycamores at some point. But um, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is kind of your overall thoughts of the league. Um, we haven't gotten to our preview yet, but um, just looking at your preview, myself, um, you and I are in, kind of in lockstep on this. So I'd love to love to hear kind of your your state of the league, uh, where you think it's at, kind of an overall before we dive into the teams. Sure. Yeah. So this is a, a theme I think you're going to see with a lot of mid-majors this year. They're going to have, you know, top to bottom strong conferences because of the COVID year. So, you know, a lot of uh, Valley teams retained a lot of talent and, you know, were able to add a lot of talent as well uh, via the portal because obviously the Mo Valley's, uh, you know, higher up mid-major. And I think we could legitimately see the Mo Valley get, you know, compete with three teams uh fraternity spots this year you know it's interesting uh just kind of your overall thoughts because i know you've done a lot a lot more previews obviously the valleys one was what caught ours and the rest of our fans uh minds but have you seen has it been uh has it kind of been across the board where a lot of the mid-majors are just loading back up from last year and, and we're seeing just a ton of returners from a lot of these mid-major leagues yeah, absolutely. Um, my most recent preview that I just finished up was the Northeast Conference, and that's a, a low mid. And I mean, it's just a theme for every conference. They 
you know, have these super so-called super seniors, you know, and it's just guys who are playing a fifth year in the program, some of them, and, you know, a lot of veteran point guards. So I think it's just going to be, you know, great conference races throughout the country, really. I think it'll be interesting, especially with like, um, and I kind of think about what came to mind, my mind when you were talking about that is, you know, a lot of Valley schools will schedule kind of the lower majors as part of their scheduling. You know, they'll try to get a couple high majors, kind of a couple low majors, kind of mix in the regular mid majors in between. I think that what this kind of will do though, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Those low majors that would maybe be your quote unquote cupcake games. Those are going to be some tough ball games, especially if some of the better teams in the league from last year, don't you? Is that kind of where you see it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's right. There are no, I think, givens outside of, you know, if you're scheduling like a SWAC team or a MEAC team, there are no, you know, like uh, it, all of those teams are, the exception would be teams that aren't improved, you know, from last mm -hmm. year. And uh, yeah, there are, I think there are very few cupcake games this year. Well, that's, uh, I think that puts the, uh, the pressure on uh, a lot of these Valley teams, which we're about to get into with. Um, and I'd like to just start at the top with Drake. Um, I know that, um, you know, in Valley circles, you might get a little pushback for having Drake number one. I I'm with you on this one. I, I think that you have to go with Drake number one in the season. Um, but the big debate, obviously Drake versus Loyola. Uh, what, what was that kind of differentiating factor for you between the Bulldogs and the Ramblers? Um, yeah, you know, Drake was such a, they had such a crazy year last year with so many injuries to key players at key, key points in the season, you know, and uh, I just think top to bottom, they have the most talent in the league. Uh, great coach as well. And, you know, they've added some guys to that mix of, you know, um, Roman Penn and Wilkins and Hemphill and Murphy, uh, like, um, Io Akinwole, I think, is really flying under the radar. Uh, a perfect fit at Drake. You know, he's he's not Joe Yesifu, but he's, you know, in that vein where he can break down defenses. He can shoot the ball. Um, you know, he's going to work work well as a pest in um, the press. So, you know, that's just another guy. I think Darnell Brody inside is due for a big breakout year. I just think top to bottom, they have a lot more offensive punch than Loyola can put together. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think offensively, there's the there's probably your difference between the two teams because I mean Loyola, they're going to probably be the best defensive team. Uh, maybe SIU as well will be one of the better defensive teams. But uh, do you think that there will be that? Because I mean, the the way I look at it is enough guys are coming back, and I think they've retooled enough at Loyola to be a tournament team again. Um, how much though do you think that they're going to miss Cameron Crutwick, or do you think that they will they have enough coming back that? they should still be a tournament team. Yeah, obviously, you know, Kraut was such a unique player and just gave um, Moser so many different offensive looks he could run through him and just a tough preparation every single Valley game. And, you know, Chris Knight is, I think, going to take surprise a lot of Valley fans with his skill set. And, um, you know, they might kind of look over him as a, a Dartmouth guy didn't play at all last year because of the Ivy, uh, you know, opting out as a league. So I think he's kind of an unknown and can really make the offense click. I still have a lot of questions though, about, you know, they could look kind of off even with Crutwig at times, you know, and, you know, Valentine is a defensive guy. He was known as like their, um, the guy who came up with all the, uh, 
great um, pick and roll coverage against Illinois um, and really dominated that game defensively. So, you know, I think Loyola certainly is, again, in contention for the, mm-hmm. the you know, top spot in the Valley. Yeah. And, I, and it, to me, and just kind of piggyback on what you said, I think, I think the putting the ball in the hoop is going to be their biggest issue because they're going to defend. Um, not having Krutwig that could get you a bucket is going to be hurt. I think Lucas Williamson is going to have to be – I think they're going to have to try to go through him a little more offensively than they wanted to last year. But um, just looking at that team – and I wonder I, – I, I, to me, and I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I don't – like I think Porter Moser is a great coach, and I think that um, you know he did an awesome job at Loyola. But I really don't think they're going to really miss much – much of a beat when they moved to Valentine this year, just because he's been with Mosier all these years and you have such a veteran group coming back. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, on what you think that transition is going to be like. Yeah, I totally agree. I think really like adjusting to a post Crutwig life is more kind of, kind of the issue. Like you said, putting the ball in the hoop for them can be a challenge. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue with them. I have absolutely like, like you, I don't have any, real issues with Valentine in his first year here. No, I think that was a, I think that was the, uh, the no brainer move uh, coaching wise, but um, as we get into the team number three, I think that this is going to be the most uh, interesting team in the preseason polls. Um, I think that this Northern Iowa Panthers team, you could make a case that they could be your number one team. Like there's a scenario out there where you make a case for them. Um, You have them at three. Um, I mean, I think that their ceiling is, I, I think I, I, I love how you, you put it about uh, everything riding on AJ Green's hips. I think that that's such a, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for this team if he's healthy and he's back to what he was. Right. right. Yeah. You, you look at their numbers two years ago, they were one of the best offenses in the entire country, you know, and you're always going to have that pack line defense with uh, Ben Jacobs and team that just, you know, makes scoring you're going to have to make jump shots basically against them. And that's, you know, not a given any on any night. So yeah, if green is healthy, he immediately, you know, raises a play of everybody around him. You know, we saw um, uh, five be the most efficient player in the league two years ago with AJ green, like a lethal pick and pop duo right there. Um, uh, Trey Bearhouse, same, same guy, you know, same uh, principle for him, like green immediately, like gets him back into the groove. It's just, uh, and then, you know, a guy like Bourne had so much great experience last year that now if Jacobson does want to kind of, you know, rest green, if he can, Bourne can absolutely run the show, I think for a little bit. Um, and you know, he can have some interesting lineups with a green and Bourne lineup out there. Yeah, no, I think with Bourne, it's, I, and, and obviously it's not a blessing to have AJ green go down, but I think for him, it kind of was that he kind of was kind of thrown into the fire right away. And he mm-hmm. kind of had to sink or swim on his own and he performed really well. Um, I don't know statistically if he'll be as good with AJ green, because I think he's going to have to share a lot of possessions, but um, I think with him coming back and another one, I think Noah Carter coming back uh, deciding to stay with Northern Iowa is just another one of those offensive threats for this team. Cause Absolutely. I mean, with these guys, they can just fill it up. Yep. Yeah, this is, I think it's one of those, it's going to be an interesting team. I, I, it's, I think the top four, and now we get into Missouri state with, with Mosley and Prim, I, I think it's just a, another, you know, you've got two, two first teamers coming back two really good players in this league. Um, do you think Missouri state though, has enough to compete with the top three? Um, I, 
well, you know, I have them at fourth in my my preview. No, but, and I have but what I'm saying is, do you think their ceiling could be to win the league? Because I know a lot of people, you kind of have that tier where that first tier is the top four. And kind of reading what you reading what you said, it, it almost seems like that tier in Missouri State's kind of on their own tier, and you're not not uh, a whole hundred yeah, percent sold. Right. I could I could see you know like it wouldn't be a total surprise like you said with Gate um, Gage Prim and Mosley, like that's two of the best players in the league right there. One of the best wings, you know, arguably the best um, you know pure post player you've got in the league. So it's you know certainly within the realm of possibility they compete with those top three. I just think there's a definite line. And like you said, they are in like tier, you know, one B essentially. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the SIUs, the Bradleys after that tier. Yeah. And I think Donovan clay is an interesting piece of that puzzle is uh, how does he fit in with that group? Um, I mean, he was so good at times for Valpo that I think if he comes in and he fits in really well, meshes well with Dana Ford's team, I think that he's going to be really good. Um, It's interesting. So, so I guess my question is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of see it. You're after reading, reading your preview. I kind of feel like you have that top three in that first tier. Then you have Missouri state by themselves. And it kind of feels like you have Southern by, by themselves as well. Is that fair? Yeah. You know, Southern's kind of a, an intriguing team, obviously, um, Damask was hurt last year and that really kind of, um, put a cap on their ceiling towards the end, but you know, no one, it seems like no one plays as hard as SIU does every single night. And I was really surprised at how poor the defense was last year. Not poor, but like it wasn't on the level I thought it would be. And, you know, not a Brian Mullins defense. Exactly. And so if they get back to that, you know, there's definitely a a case to be made for the Salukis kind of being the spoiler in that, you know, I could see them maybe, you know, leapfrogging most state, Um, you know, a lot. The offense is kind of, questionable at times uh but obviously damask back and healthy uh helps that situation no i think they're a good ball club it's going to be they're going to be one of those interesting teams that where their their ceiling and their floor is as it might be the biggest in the league both ways just because you it, it, you know if if injuries happen people don't come back the way they should like damask um this team could be talking about thursday again so yeah um right. Absolutely. So, so for me, and this, I would love to hear your thoughts because you have the rest of the way. You go Bradley, Valpo, um, Indiana State, Evansville, and then Illinois State. I think Illinois State's the lock for ten, but that six through nine, I have a really hard time in judging these teams. Um, what made you pick Bradley above the other three, Valpo, uh, Indiana State, and Evansville? Was there was there something that stood out? Because obviously, Rink Mass, awesome awesome big guy. I think he's going to take another, another step forward this year. Was that what what went into your thoughts on Bradley? Um, I think the athleticism of their front court is something that a lot of teams aren't going to have in the Valley. Um, Like Wordle loves his uh, Dutchman because Leon's is going to be, you know, he can play on the ball with his size. He can uh, post up. He can do, he can, he's a, a three level scorer with his size, which is, you don't see that too often in the Valley. And if he's as good as he looks on tape, you know, Bradley's got a pretty high ceiling. Um, and it's, I think they just overall have a front court that few teams in the league have. The back court has some uh, definite issues, you know, had a lot of attrition there. And they're relying on a guy, Mikey Howell, who came from a real system that's opposite of what Wordle has run you know, at Green Bay, at Bradley, 
like it's um, a ball reversal offense that he comes from at San, uh, UC San Diego. And it's, you know, basically three in rim only at that, at that school. And I, I just don't see how he fits in right now with Bradley. And then the, it, the other option would be a, another Juco guy, um, Terry Roberts. So, you know, that mid-major leagues are often guard driven and there's so, so many good guards in this league and Bradley doesn't have anyone in that top tier of guards on, currently on the roster, you know. We'll see what happens, but the front court tough to deal with. Back court, huge question mark. Yeah, no, I think I think you're I think you're spot on with the question mark in the back court. I, the one thing I think is interesting about Bradley is going from, um, you know, you kind of went through that Elijah Childs era, um, and that now now that he's gone, it almost feels like this is the fresh start because I know he was out for toward the end of last year with some issues, but um, now this feels like the fresh start for Wardle, and you really get to see kind of what he does with a. Um, a totally new look version of Bradley. And I think that's kind of the most interesting thing for me is like you said, with the athleticism he's bringing in, um, if he can kind of tool the guards the way he wants to, I think that's a pretty, that's going to be a really tough out here in the Valley. Absolutely. And yeah, like you mentioned, there were so many, you know, off court issues towards the end of the year last year that, yeah, this does seem like, you know, those guys are gone. Let's regroup, you know, and uh, you know, restart here. Yeah, no, and especially during a pandemic, to have to have to go through that as well. It's 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 just an insane, it's an insanely tough ask. Now, I'd be remiss as the Illinois State fan on the podcast if I didn't ask about my my wonderful Redbirds, who you have at ten, I have at ten. I think everyone has a ten. Yeah. I think this is the one team that you can confidently say uh, didn't get better. Yeah, going into the season, um, but let's try to be optimistic for a few minutes here. Um, what has to go right for this team for them to avoid Thursday and really compete at least in the middle of the pack in the, the Valley? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the backcourt wing situation isn't, isn't bad, <laughs> you know, like strong. Uh, That's a great yeah. start, Jordan. <laughs> strong Reeves Fleming, you know, if, you know, Fleming has a lot, of, a lot of talent. I think he could have, he, uh, uh, you know, a breakout season here. Uh, Mark Freeman, you know, um, has has some skill like that. Clearly, the backcourt and wing wing situation is where they're gonna have their uh, bread buttered. The front court, you know, you probably know some of these guys better than I do, but it's kind of like the major league scene uh, where you know they're looking at the roster, and I'm kind of like, who are some of these guys? You know, um, so yeah, you know, it's just. There's a, a lot souring in Illinois State overall, I think, you know, like people clamoring for a coaching change, the contract situation isn't really conducive to that, you know, it's just, I hope it works out for you, but I just don't see, <laughs> see you guys avoiding Thursday. No, I mean, I, listen, I, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, I am a diehard Illinois State fan and I have them 10th, so um just got to be totally fair but uh yeah no it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a tough year losing dj is is an insane it's it it, when you lost dj horn it that team was it was instantly not gonna be as good so um really really gonna make things harder um i do i know you talk a lot a lot about the guards um and i'd love to get your thoughts kind of in comparison to a lot of the leagues um, even the front court and the back court, but starting with the back court with the guards, 
compared to a lot of the mid majors, is, is are you seeing that the Valley is one of the one of the better leagues guard wise? Because I mean, let's look at some of the talent on these teams. Within you know, you got your AJ Greens, your Roman Pens. Um, are do they stack up really well against the rest of the mid majors? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of a um, self fulfilling prophecy a bit. You know, the better mid major teams always have great guard play, and so then you're like the <laughs> the guards dominate mid-majors, you know, <laughs> but that it's kind of, yeah, it's like a, a works out that way. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, every team in the Valley, basically there's a lot of new, like Valpo has, you know, a ton of their Wisconsin South this year. Um, and so, you, you know, they're adding a bunch of high major guards to the, to the league um, and high major wings. But yeah, you know, every one of these teams, and again, that's kind of Bradley's biggest question mark, is they don't have that dominant backcourt that every other team seems to have, you know? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And and just even looking at the big guys in this league, I mean, when you've got Gage Prims, the Fifes of the world, Brody, I mean, this is... This league is it's it feels like the league's obviously taking that next step and and doesn't it and and I guess I'd love to hear from your perspective as kind of someone that covers every league um the valleys it feels like the valleys obviously you know from about the last three years we've been on an upward trajectory is that kind of how you see it as well nationally um yeah I mean there are very few mid majors where you can rely on them uh fielding. Uh, a conference where two bids is a legitimate option every single year, like the Valley. I mean, that's, to me, that's, you know, why they're kind of on their own tier of mid-major. It's, you know, the exception lately that the Valley doesn't have two teams competing for a, a tournament bid. And, you know, like I said, this year, there's three teams competing, maybe more, you know, most state yeah. can uh, knock up, you know, split a few um, with, um, Drake and Loyola. Yeah, it was interesting. Vance and I actually were just talking about this the other day was how many wins is going to win the Valley this year. And I almost think like 14, you're almost a lock to win this league. If you go 14 and four, I think in this conference with as tough as it's gotten, I think that's probably going to yeah. win the league. Yeah. When, is that about, four, is that about I, where you have it? Yeah, absolutely. 14 yeah. and four will, will, will win the league. No question. All right. Now, so taking a step back from the Valley real quick, I'd love to get your thoughts on the, uh, on the players being compensated now um, players are making money um, just your overall thoughts. How do you think that's going to change college basketball going forward? I know we're kind of in the infant stages of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen it long enough to really, you know, make a conclusion off it, but um, kind of, where do you see, where do you see this going? Where do you see this progressing over the years? How, how do you feel like that would affect, you know, a mid major compared to a major? You know, it's funny. Uh, at the time I really didn't have, that much interest in it like it really didn't seem to have I couldn't see it on like you know a macro level having a huge effect on the game and like you said because it's in its infancy stages and so new maybe I'm you know not seeing the big picture here quite yet but I just don't see it having a massive impact where it you know where it like disproportionately affects you know smaller leagues and you know the rich just get richer or whatever i don't i'm not seeing that right right now you know like it seems like a bunch of guys are just signing like you know doing some you know like used car dealership deals and 
you know, like local restaurants and things like that. And it's, to me, it, it's, I'm glad it's happening. And I just, I'm, I, maybe I'm just not capable of seeing like the, the huge impact right now. Yeah, no. And, and that's always been kind of my thing was, um, I was always wanted to see how it would kind of start. And, and I, you see the same things I do, like a used car or restaurant people are, you know, and I think even, I, I would think Tyreek Key was doing some restaurant Terre Haute. I mean, there was right. like, there's different little sponsorships. So I, I feel like in a way the mid majors, because they're localized to whatever community they're in, they will be able to compete because some of the best players are still going to be able to make money on their own. Um, because, and I also kind of, my perspective is how many, how many of these major players are going to get paid? Like I, if you're the, if you're the ninth, 10th guy on Duke, are you going to, are you going to get a bunch of endorsements? Probably right. not. Yeah, um, yeah, so that's kind of, I, and that's why I kind of think like, you know, the t- couple top end guys at the mid majors are going to get paid. Maybe not the level of a top, maybe not the level of like a Duke or a Michigan state, but I think that I, I also, I don't think that we're going to have like, you know, the rich keep get, getting richer. I actually think that it'll kind of balance itself out in a way. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly what I think that it's, you know, that when it was first um, brought up, it was, you had a lot of people kind of painting a doomsday scenario and that, you know, it would destroy college basketball, destroy college athletics. And I mean, like you said, like imagine Tyree key up transferred, he's not getting, you know, uh, uh, an NIL deal, you know, as the mm-hmm. ninth man at wake forest, you know? Yeah. So that's, um, and and I think that's, I think that's actually a really good point where, you know, maybe the guy who was going to go to, uh, you know, your Wake Forest or Clemson, it was going to maybe be, you know, first off the bench sees, you know, an Illinois state, uh, uh, Northern Iowa, where you can be a starter and maybe make some money. I mean, that's, um, maybe some more talented players will see that as an opportunity for them as well. So, um, I think that we're far away. The one thing I, and I, I don't know how this is going to shake out. I, I worry about the other sports, I think, because, you know, you, you know, universities have their money sports, quote unquote, with like, you know, you know, football, men's and women's basketball, but then all the other sports, I, that's where I worry about where this is going to go. And I, and I guess I just don't have the answer of, of how, you know, things get allocated across men's and women's sports across the other right. uh, platforms. Yeah. I, I'm not smart enough to <laughs> have a, have a solution for that. So no, no, neither am I. I think it's uh, I think it'll be uh, an interesting process, but um, real quick before, before I let you go, do you want to, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, give you, give you the floor here. Um, just um, my website staring at the floorboards. I started that many years ago, wish I had picked a different shorter name. <laughs> um same, same with my Twitter handle started, you know, over a decade ago. I wish I could no longer identify as a Cubs fan, but, you know, so Jor Cubsen at Twitter, that's me. Um, my Terre Haute people would be uh, disappointed if I didn't mention Indiana State in my uh, preview tonight. Um, I think they're going to have a hard time, <laughs> you know. Yeah, let's but, let's talk about the Sycamores here. I mean, losing Jake LaRavia last year. Um, obviously that's kind of the, the headline for this team. A uh, few other losses, obviously losing your coach. Where, where do you see the Sycamores at this year? Obviously ahead of the Redbirds, but I mean, yeah, I could see them actually coming in 10th because, uh, they, you know, you don't play drag screen transition offense in the Valley that three, you know, three years in a row, they have come 
and last or dead last overall um, in terms of conference tempo. So, you know, playing um, 80 plus possessions at Lincoln Memorial and trying to translate that into the Valley where I think most state was the fastest team last year and they were about 67 possessions. Like you're, you're, you're taking, you know, you're going into the, the grindhouse of all grindhouse conferences. You know, this is the, the big 10 of mid-majordom and to try to, you know, run a transition reliant offense, I think is going to be a very steep learning curve for um, uh, shirts. And, you know, he loves these guys who are long versatile um, ball handlers, you know, like the, everyone can start the break that just really doesn't play in the Valley. So, you know, there's so many teams like you and I who are dedicated, absolutely dedicated to eliminating all transition opportunities. Like, you know, Ben Jacobson lives to deny transition. So it's going to be, you know, Evansville is another team where like every possession takes the entire shot clock, you know, like it's, it's going to be, I think, a, a kind of a rough year for ISU. I'm curious now, now we're talking about Indiana state. Um, what has, what has the local kind of perception been around the coaching change? Because I mean, I, I was, I was a little, I didn't love the, the end of Greg Lansing's tenure there. Um, but I mean, I think the decision was made prior to the season. So um, that's the, the, the way they were going to go. What was the thoughts on, on removing Lansing and, and going in a new direction? And what, what is the kind of the vibe around the new coach? I think there's a lot of excitement around shirts because of his style. And I think that's going to be, you know, like he's, he's selling this up-tempo, you know, fun and gun style. And I just, I'm, I'm really wor- worried about that working out in the Valley and a lot of, you know, disappointed Hoshans, but um, you know, Greg Lansing, I think had about 50, 50, his, um, his champions and his detractors. And they were each, the champions weren't very vocal and the detractors were extremely vocal. And, you know, he was working on a one-year contract yep. every year. And that's just, you know, going to cripple you on, out recruiting. And, you know, the facilities weren't great there. Even the upgrade, I think, is kind of, you know, kind of just more of a facade upgrade in terms of the whole, uh, Holman Center. So, you know... Um, I felt bad for Lansing. I think he's a great X's and O's coach. I think, you know, the Odom years were great. Um, and, you know, we could see what he could do. And it just seemed like it was time for a change. <laughs> you know, like, I like the guy. I know him personally. I think he's a good basketball coach. Um, but it was clearly, you know, it, that situation could not go on. You know, the one-year contract thing. If you weren't getting an extension, then it was time to go. You know, it's interesting. Every single person that we've talked to about Lansing has always said the same thing about how wonderful of a guy he was. And, you know, I, you go back to those Odom days. I mean, unfortunately for him, the steam, you know, the steamroller was the Wichita State Shockers at the same time that he was, he had right. those really good teams with Odom. So, I mean, he would run into Wichita State every single year and in Northern yeah. Iowa had a good couple of years there as well. Um, but he was one of those coaches that, you know, he would have a few down years here and there, but he, he would, he would kind of have some overachieving years is what I kind of saw where he um, maybe, maybe they didn't have the most talented team, but you know, they'd finish in the top half of the league and, and where you weren't expecting that. So right. um, I think that his tenure, I, I think you can, I think it's probably a mixed bag, especially if you kind of take yeah. a step back, but 
um you always hear the respect that people had for his x's and those i i am curious now though with the uh with the new new style this indiana state team how that will uh be embraced in the valley because um sometimes different but good um who knows if maybe uh i i i think that the real the real interesting thing for me at least will be the first couple games they play against valley teams before the valley scouting before they really get the scouting report on this team absolutely is yeah. you know I, this could be a kind of a punch them in the mouth type of team where you, you they come out and they they rattle off 12 14 points in a row and and, and you just wonder what happens so um I, I do think LaRavia, and I'm sure you're probably the same way. I think losing him is I, – I, I think we thought so highly of him last year, and he was yeah. such a good player. He's going he's gonna to do great at Wake Forest. I have no doubt in my mind. But Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that replacing all the players, uh, to your point, you know, with the new offense, replacing a lot of guys, it's going to be really tough. Right. Yeah, he's, he's relying on a few of those um, LMU guys to come in and kind of – run things and I'm not sure how that's going to play with you know key coming back and will you know I'm sure you know Tyree Key saw LMU highlights and watched you know tape and was like wow these guys these guys fill it up you know I was just going to say was that did you did you ever hear why like because I don't know mentally I was just always thinking Tyree Key was going to be done and and just oh, kind of hearing him talk, well. I think everybody yeah. when they heard him interview, it kind of felt like this was the end for him as Lance is as the kind of the rumor was Lansing was leaving, so you know he was going to move on somewhere else, uh, yeah. whether it was Go Pro or not. But I, it was it kind of a shock to you all to see him decide to come back. It was, and same with Cooper Nice as well. Like I think Nice was extremely vocal on social media about you know, what a great oh, guy Coach L was and how, you know, he can't imagine playing for anybody else and all that. And, you know, then a month later, he's back at, back at, back in Terre Haute. So, you know, like clearly something sold them, shirts sold them or sold them on the system, you know, like Cooper Nice, especially he's going to get, you know, 20 open threes a game if he wants it. So um, I'm sure that was a, a big selling point for him. It's gonna be an interesting year in Terre Haute. It'll, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they they come out ready to play. Um, they've got some tough non-conference games uh, right out of the jump, so we'll uh, we'll have to, we'll find out real fast uh, overall with this team how they do in the valley. But um, Jordan, thank you very much for uh, for joining us tonight. Um, Jordan Majeski at Jor Cubs Dan uh, on Twitter. Uh, definitely go out there, Valley fans, and check out his Missouri Valley Conference preview. We'll definitely. Um, when we post this, we'll uh, post a link to that as well. So you guys can go read what Jordan had to say. Um, it is an awesome read. It's a really good um, in-depth look where you guys kind of get that nice snapshot of the Valley team. So uh, I encourage you guys all to check it out. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Valley fans, this has been episode two of the 2021-2022 Missouri Valley Conference season. Great episode. Just had a little banter back and forth with Baker. It's been a while, so it was good to catch up and talk a little bit of the Valley highlights going into the season. Then Baker had a great conversation with Jordan Majeski from staringattheflooroboards.wordpress.com or follow him at Twitter at, at JorCubsDan on Twitter. Baker, what's next? what's next is we're going to start previewing these teams. Um, we're going to start from the bottom like we did uh, the last couple of years. We're going to start with teams 10 and 9, uh, which happen to be our teams. So it's going to be the Vance and Baker biased episode. 
but we're going to uh, we're going to preview the Illinois State Redbirds and the Southern Illinois Salukis on our next episode, and we're going to start getting into our previews. I think it's important to note not the bottom teams we think that it'll be this year, at least for some of us. Um, it is how they finished last season. That is what we've done the last two seasons is we've worked our way backwards from the Arch Madness seeding, and we're looking yep. forward to that, except for the champions. So we've always done the Arch Madness champion and the regular season champion. Right, right. So this year what we're going to do is, yeah, we're going to start We're going to start from uh, 9 and 10, which are the Salukis and the Redbirds, and uh, go all the way through. And then finally, uh, after we're done previewing all the teams, we will go into our full preview of the season where we think the teams will finish, awards, all that good fun stuff that you guys love. Um, but you guys can uh, find us on Twitter at MarchArchPod, at MarchArchBaker. Uh, MarchArchPodcast.com is our website. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's it's great to finally talk to you again, Vance, and uh, get diving into some Valley hoops. And uh, this is just kind of it's it's starting to kind of get me excited, especially talking about some of the stories going around. And uh, I can't wait for the season to get going. Couldn't have said it better myself. So I'm going to end us with Go Valley. Start talking about the Valley. Why not? <laughs>